everyone. Welcome to the Odd Drummer Gaming Podcast, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I am going to talk about Superman 3, the Richard Pryor cut, but we'll get to that at the end. Um, I hope everyone is well. I wanted to open up this podcast episode by talking about how social media sucks and we should all we should all delete our accounts um, just to save ourselves from our old so our own souls and from depression. Depression is out there no matter what, and I am depressed. Everyone is depressed, but social media just expounds. Is that the word? Expounds the situation. I mean, we're all guilty of using social media. Everything is social media these days. I'm sure that doesn't make sense, but um, anyway, I, I'm looking on the Nextdoor app, which is social media, and I'm not going to go into specifics, obviously, but I saw this post. I deleted it off my phone, but I still get the emails. I, you know, I, I want, anyway, moving on. So this person put a post on the interweb and it said I hi I want a anti-depression buddy someone that is safe trusted willing to come get me out the house to walk sea beach and watch sun rising be willing to give same to you we can trade background report so when when I first saw this post um, it had nine likes, I guess, and um, one comment. And the only comment was the poster. The poster said, the OP, if you will, please stop asking to date. This isn't FB dating. And then some laugh emojis. Honest people want anti-depression buddies regardless of their profession. It's walks on beach in park planting flowers that can prevent depression and suicide. I'm a Navy veteran. Believe me, we lost 22 veterans a day. And so I opened I opened up the post again today and there has been some movement. I'd like to say there's been some movement on this post. So initially there was nine likes. Now there are 16 hearts and one. It's hard to describe the emoji, but it's the emoji that looks surprised like, <gasps> like, oh, my gosh. So 16 hearts and one. Oh, my gosh. Emoji. Um, and there's three additional. Uh comments one is saying hi are you in blank blank city i would a buddy too so they said i would a buddy too i don't know what that means another another response that says love this uh, looks like a light bulb emoji let's be friends and then finally another response that says army vet let's connect uh, 
I'd like to remind everyone that the OP, at the end of the original post, it says we can trade back background report. Now, maybe I'm making too much of this. And of course, I'm going to sound like one of those crazy antisocial weirdos, like paranoid, but you have to understand, we don't know who this person is. We no one knows. So we 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 okay. They say they're willing to trade background reports, which is a weird thing to say. Maybe that's common. I don't know. We don't know if this is a genuinely depressed person. We don't know if they're a serial killer. I mean, and I'm just trying to be honest. It's better to be safe than sorry. I mean, right? And. If, if there's responses that says, like, I would a buddy too. I'm going to come to your house and we'll walk on the beach in park planting flowers. And then we can go on a murder-suicide together. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. If you're depressed, it's important to reach out. But... To reach out to strangers, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I really don't. I'm going to, for me personally, I'm going to go ahead and say, no, that's not the right thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do. If you don't have friends like me, I don't have friends. I don't know what to tell you. Like, to go online, to go on Facebook, to go on Twitter, to go on Instagram and say, I'm feeling down, I'm blue, I need help. You're going to attract the wrong kind of attention. I'm sorry. That's that's how I see the world. Uh, and then again, these people could be genuinely depressed, re- asking for help. And these responses could be genuinely um, depressed people trying to connect. But her first response was like, please stop asking to date. This isn't FB dating. So... Right away, people are like trying to hit on this person. So I don't know. It's just. I really, I really hate social media. I wish more people would get off it. You know, I, I looked up Victoria Pedretti um, of House on Hill, Haunted Hill fame and you, um, beautiful girl. And let me see if I can find the post on my phone. But she said something. She, I think she's like 27. But she said something very interesting. Um, in 2021, Pedretti responded to a comment about her Instagram account, which didn't have any posts and said, I, rare, I rarely find any... I rarely find that any relationships I have are strengthened through social media. And she also said, like, I'm more of a one-on-one person, which I agree wholeheartedly. And I don't know, it's just um, shallow surface relationships that continue to be shallow surface relationships. I don't know. I, I had to get off it for my own mental health. I just had to get off it. But at the same time, I think podcasting is in a way social media. YouTube is social media. And I'm still on both. I'm still doing both. But to my knowledge, I don't think 
if anyone's listening to this, they can't respond to me because they don't know how to get in touch with me. So that, in a way, I'm having a one-way conversation, which is kind of unhealthy, kind of. Because, you know, if I say anything that should or needs to be called out on, no one can reach to me. But whatever, let let everyone be themselves, as long as they're not hurting anyone. Um, let's move on with our lives. On to the movies. Uh, I watched a lot of movies, um, and this is actually very exciting news. I added a column to my Excel sheet. So if you don't know, I I keep an Excel sheet of all the movies I watch. Um, because I got off Letterboxd, and first column is the date I watched it. Second column is the name of the movie or episode of the TV show. Third column used to be the platform, like, for example, HBO Max or Shudder or whatever. But uh, that's now the fourth column. So I have added a third column, and it's the year that the movie was released. And I didn't go back and update all of them, but moving forward, that's I, I'm, I've been adding the year. So I watched The Night House on HBO Max. I actually listened to the We'll See You in, in Hell episode about this movie before watching it. I don't usually do that. I usually stop before they start talking about the movie if... I haven't seen the movie yet, but I decided to listen to the episode, and they're very funny, as al- as always, so I enjoyed the episode, but listening to that, listening to them talk about it and kind of spoiling some stuff can't help but kind of inform my experience when watching the movie, you know, so I kind of regret doing that, um, but whatever. I... I enjoyed the night house. Um, the boys did not really like it. Um, they said a lot of the lot of stuff was stupid in it, and I can't argue with it. But you know, the beginning of the movie was there's atmosphere, there's tone, there's a creepiness factor to it. There's some weird visual um, shadowy figures in her house, and I thought it was well made, well done, and. I will say I liked it less as the movie went on, but um, I I don't. It was a you know a a decent horror movie. I believe Pat said he preferred Nighthouse to Antlers, and Joe preferred Antlers to Nighthouse. I prefer Nighthouse, um, eighty billion percent. Um, Nighthouse, it was really well made. Um, I thought, well, maybe not really well-made, but well-made enough. And Antlers didn't scare me at all. It just, you know, it was it was weirdly made. Um, and I'm not sure why Jesse Plemons and uh, Felicity even made it. But this movie, Rebecca Hall, she's someone I, again, I... Um, I could give or take as an actress. Um, I I like her every time I see her. I liked her in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. 
and um but and then i see her in things like she was in iron man 3 like kind of a forgettable role she was in holmes and watson she's like whatever in that movie although i like that movie more than most people um i liked her in christina or christine the movie where she plays like a news anchor and she kills she commits suicide at the end of that movie on air and she 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 has some weird acting scenes in the night house and i started to question like she's acting weird but i think that was just part of her performance because she was a you know mentally unstable her husband just shot himself in the mouth so i think she was trying to play a wife you know an a mentally unstable wife so i i i was with her performance i guess by the end of the movie the the scene where she's talking with her coworkers at the table i felt like that scene was very weird um at the restaurant or at the bar i feel like i don't know they needed some sort of like script editor to go through it and worked on the dialogue because the tone and the atmosphere of the movie is the strong point but the dialogue was a weak point so i feel like someone had to go through the dialogue maybe a bit to iron out some of the kinks but overall i i thought night house was fine um, I didn't love it or anything, but I liked it. Um, next, I watched Cursed Films on Shudder. I watched a, f- a few episodes. I'm caught up on the series. I watched s- um, Season 1, Episode 2, The Omen. Episode 3, Poltergeist. Episode 4, The Crow. Episode 5, Twilight Zone, the movie. And Season 2 episode one the wizard of oz and season two episode two rosemary's baby the omen i don't have much to well all right i'll go through individual episodes first short uh briefly the omen didn't affect me that much because i haven't seen the omen and it's not streaming anywhere so um, it was nice to see Richard Donner in there. Like a lot of times you don't get to see the director and it was nice for him to show up in that, um, episode. And then Poltergeist, I, you know, I liked it. I I've seen the first Poltergeist. I haven't seen any of the sequels. The Crow, I have not yet seen twilight zone the movie i haven't seen the movie but that was a interesting episode um well all right so the omen they just by the end of the episode they try to twist it into like i don't think the omen was cursed at all i think it was a blessing and they have everyone say it like as if it's this triumphant moment and you know, watching the series, it's an interesting series. It's interesting to talk about these movies and to try to connect things that are probably coincidences to see if they're cursed. 
I don't think any of the movies are cursed. I think they are just purely coincidences. And I honestly think like season one, most of the episodes end up around 26, 27 minutes. And I got to say, most of them are, most of the episodes have fluff in them already, even at 27 minutes, because there's little to say about the movie and curses and it seems like they go off on weird tangents and then in the middle of the movie i'm like what does this have to do with the omen being cursed or what does this have to be what does this have to do with the poltergeist being cursed and like a lot of these episodes are just they end up just being sad you know the omen they talk about an electrician or something that got injured really badly with second and third degree burns and um in poltergeist richard or gary sherman i think his name the director of poltergeist three he he's in almost in tears talking about heather o'rourke sorry if i get these names wrong but um it's just it's just sad tragedies tragedies that coincide with the movie and they're just sad stories at the end of the day and um the crow like they're trying to tie the one of the co-workers was cursed or one of the co-workers what am i talking about one of the co-stars was cursed like the girlfriend um and then of of course Brandon Lee is a very sad story which of course no one has learned their lesson because Alec Baldwin is on sets killing people by the way I mean Alec Baldwin I I'm off I try to stay off the internet for the most part but I mean he was just a blip that he's all forgotten by the time the slap happened Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, and yes, it was a big deal. It was disturbing, but but Alec Baldwin killed a person. So uh, anyway, let's not let's talk about the Alec Baldwin curse, um, or the Will Smith curse. But these stories are just at the end of the day, they're just sad stories. And yes, they're interesting to talk about and think about, but. I don't know if I would say I'm enjoying the show. It's just it's just kind of just there. Uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie episode, was... It made my jaw drop a few times because... A, when they showed Vic Morrow carrying the two children, I, my jaw dropped because I, I was like, wow, I, I can't believe they're showing that scene with him running in the water with two vietnamese children in his arms i because obviously that conjures up images conjures up memories but i and they can talk about it sure but i can't believe they played that scene but they basically show the scene where the helicopter falls down and kills them like you can't really see anything but i was very surprised that they showed they sh- i mean it's very fast but you see vic morrow carrying the kids you see the helicopter fall towards the ground 
and you essentially see the helicopter blades fall on top of the three people. I don't know if that's ground for um, a lawsuit like Jennifer Jason Lee. I think that's her name. Daughter of Vic Morrow being like, why are you showing this? Like, you can talk about it all you want, but why are you showing this footage in a Shudder documentary series? Um, did I have a problem with it? Uh, nah. It was interesting to see, but I was just very surprised to see that they showed it. Um, and then The Wizard of Oz. Talk about fluff. I mean, even at 27 minutes, the show has fluff in it. The Wizard of Oz episode, I'm sure the producers of the series were like, oh man, we got Adam Savage of the Mistbusters fame. And sure, it's an interesting get for that show, for that series. But then he goes on at length talking about how they had an episode testing the the gray glitter glitter powder that they put on Buddy Epson, I think, and how it he had some sort of reaction to it and it affected him for the rest of his life. I'm like, you can talk about that, sure, short, briefly, but why are we talking about your your Mythbusters episode in this Cursed Films episode? I really thought, I mean, they're expanding that series from 27 minutes to 45 minutes, which I don't think is necessary at all. Um, I think 27 minutes was too long already. It should have been maybe 20 minutes each, but... The Mythbusters thing, I, I didn't get, I didn't like. Um, also, it, it was in my imagination, but did they talk about the... Did they explain the hanging dwarf thing? Did they explain it, or did they just mention it and talk about it? Because they didn't really give an explanation, uh, or if they did, I missed it. I wasn't sure if it was digitally altered or what. Um, I think in the original, it was the hanging dwarf rumor speculation, and then they changed subsequent editions with the bird. Um, so, or maybe they purposely m left it vague and left it without an explanation so that the rumors and the speculation and the myth and the lore just keeps going, which... I don't blame that. I don't blame them for that either because that keeps it interesting. I mean, I'm fine with them talking about it, um, but we, we don't need concrete explanations for everything. I mean, it's kind of fun to keep the, the lore going, but it, it was interesting. I don't think they gave a concrete explanation as to the hanging dwarf rumor. So I actually went and watched Rosemary's Baby, the movie, prior to watching the Cursed Films episode, because I have never seen Rosemary's Baby. So it's my first time watching it. The movie came out. I watched it on Paramount+. Plus. I watched it on... Oh my gosh, I just said that. I watched it on Paramount+. Plus. The movie came out in 1968. And 
I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, throughout the first, I mean, the first large chunk of the movie, I mean, maybe an hour, maybe 45 minutes of the movie, I didn't really understand what I was watching because it's just about this nice couple moving into this new apartment and this the eccentric annoying old couple neighbors um and i was like i thought this was a horror movie and i was like what's going on and by by the end of the movie i got it while watch ugh, while watching the movie i was thinking you know, this is very long and very lengthy, and I don't think all of this exposition is necessary. But obviously, by the end, I was like, no, I think all of that was necessary because you had to establish that this was a normal couple, a, hap a happy, seemingly happy husband and wife who are moving into this new apartment and they're expecting a new baby and these old couple neighbors are just normal annoying nosy neighbors and I want to talk about Ruth Gordon because she put on a heck of a performance because I found her so annoying and she was so effective in that role like I've known people in my life that are so annoying and so nosy and I just I want to get away from those people as much as I can as soon as possible and she was so effective in that role and I don't know it just gave me like bad vibes of people who are like who are always up in your business I I had a job once where this guy was um Every morning, I would get there first, and every morning he would come in, and he'd be like, he'd look at my work, he'd look at what I was working on, he'd look at the papers at my on my desk, and he'd be like, how's it going? What are you working on? Did you do this? Did you do that? And I had been there for months, and he was new. He was like a week or two new. I was like, why are you always up in my business? And I, I am not exaggerating. I actually, I quit that job because of him. And, you know, as you get older, you know, you f you feel like you can't quit every job every time someone irks you. But that guy was just like a bridge too far. I had to get away from him as soon as I could. Anyway, Ruth Gordon was very good in that role. Um, Here's another interesting thing. So in the last episode, I, I talked at length about Ann Archer. And the first time I saw her was in the 1978-ish um, screen tests for Lois Lane. So I saw her as like a pre-40-year-old woman, and I found her to be beautiful. So I don't think I've ever seen Mia Farrow's face before. I've heard her name a billion times in conjunction with Woody Allen. I hear her name all the time, Mia Farrow, Mia Farrow. I don't think I've ever seen her. I never thought to look her up. And so my first exposure to her was Rosemary's Baby 
and she's i think 21 22 in the movie it's she's a moonbeam of a moonbeam of a of a woman she's she's beautiful she's adorable i don't want to get gross i apologize but it's it's very hard not to have a super crush on her right away um at the beginning of rosemary's baby she's like she's like bubbly and kind of sweet and she's she's beautiful and it's it's sad that you know she was she was excellent in rosemary's baby and nothing can take that away from her and i'm i i was reading that she made 13 movies with woody allen and i'm i'm looking forward to looking to watching some more of her movies but it's just sad that a big part of her legacy and it's is just going to be the drama between her and Woody Allen like that's all I knew her from because I'd, I'd never seen her act before um I haven't seen Hannah and her sisters or crimes and misdemeanors or I haven't seen anything with Mia Farrow in it to my knowledge before rosemary's baby and everything i've heard is just and i'm not blaming her and i i should be blaming woody allen i i don't know what the truth is i mean i don't know no one really knows and well someone really knows but mia farrow accuses woody allen woody allen denies it and um so i don't know what the truth is so i'm not i'm not blaming anyone I'm stating a fact that part of both of their legacies is that he's accused of these egregious things and she has publicly accused him. And that sucks. And I'm not saying that she shouldn't have. Uh, I mean, if she truly believes that, then maybe it happened. I'm just stating the fact that I, I wish that her her legacy would have been pure with the, her movies and her performances. But I wish that about everyone. And she didn't do anything wrong. But it's just... My point is, all, all I hear about her is this the drama with Woody Allen, which, I, you know, when she's gone, you know, everyone's going to be gone at one point. When she's gone, everyone's just going to know her in conjunction with Woody Allen, the drama, the controversy between the two of them, which sucks. But I'm sure everyone still remembers her great performance in Rosemary's Baby. It's a great performance. And you can't help but think and compare it to Hereditary. Hereditary, you know, I forget what year it came out, maybe 2018, but you have the benefit of you know modern technology to to aid in that but rosemary's baby is still a really really well crafted film and that's another thing it's a shame that roman polanski is a great director i i watched um chinatown and that was great rosemary's baby is great and they in the cursed films episode they talk about of course they they go at length they talk about the manson murders and sharon tate and i couldn't help but 
think like what if what happened with Sharon Tate is the reason that because the uh, Rosemary's Baby came out in 2018 and um, Sharon Tate was murdered. What the, what did I just say? Did I say 2018? <sighs> I'm losing my mind. Rosemary's Baby came out in 1968. And then I believe Sharon Tate was m- murdered in 1969. And I believe that... Roman Polanski um, raped, I guess, raped. I shouldn't have said, I guess. He raped a 13-year-old girl, I think, in 1977. And of course, that's terrible, and he shouldn't have done that, and he's a terrible person, and he's a creep. But I can't help but wonder if... Well... There's nothing to wonder, like having your wife murdered brutally and having it such a have it having it become a such a public fiasco that messes with your mind and your soul and your well-being and I'm not saying at all that it justifies what he did, but you may, he's he's a fucked up guy. And, um, but having your wife murdered will do that to you unless I'm getting my dates mixed up. And I don't think he raped a girl before the murder. Anyway, it's a shame because he makes really great movies. He's a talented director and it just sucks that he's had so much. I mean, it sucks that he raped a girl. Of course. What am I saying? That's not, I'm not implying that that's. I think we should move on. Um, Rosemary's Baby, Uncursed Films. I I talked about it already. Um, I've been watching Boardwalk Empire. And I'm enjoying it, but I kind of have a limit. I've been feeling I'm not sure I want to invest, you know, five seasons worth. 12 episodes a season unless the seasons get longer as it goes on each episode is almost an hour long i don't know if i want to invest that much time and effort into boardwalk empire i've kind of been enjoying it but you know this jimmy darmody character i i don't know the actor's name but he his performance he he'll say lines like yeah, I I have a, a I have a son at home. What and he I thought he was good at first, but I'm I've become very bored with his performances. And when Steve Buscemi ousts him out of his company, I kind of hoped that his character would have been written off the show. But he keeps coming back with, um, what's that guy's name? The guy who killed a bunch of people. Um, Al Capone. That that actor is great. 
the actor's good. Um, I'm just not really interested in that storyline. And if they're going to keep cutting back to them, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to... I'm only in season one. And um, if I go a few days, more than a few days in between episodes, I forget everything. Like, I forget all the details, all the character names. It's like all these white male actors. I can't, I can't keep them apart. And I, I came back to the series after like weeks after I had seen the last episode. And um, this one guy, I think his name's Charlie. He was getting some sort of injection into his penis. I'm like, what's happening here? I forget who Charlie was. Um, there's this big fat guy with a an injury the size of a grapefruit and then um michael the tall guy with not a joy in his body um i forget his name the tall guy from he played zod in superman man of steel he hurls his fist into the fat guy's wound i'm like what is going on here and there's nudity in the series, which is a, a fantastic thing. Mostly from Paz de la Huerta. And um, I am i don't know if I'm going to keep going with it, to be honest. Um, I think I started watching it because I watched Holmes and Watson. And I thought it was interesting slash funny that... I forget her name, but she played... Um, brave in Pixar's Brave she was the Irish actress in Pixar's Great Merida and so I, st- I, st- I started watching Boardwalk Empire after I watched Holmes and Watson and she plays kind of a, a homely wife mother of two who has like an abusive husband and then Steve Buscemi kills the husband. And then now he's having a spoiler alert. He's having an affair with her. And I didn't think they would go in this direction. But I, I, I got to a scene where Merida disrobes. And you see her nude. Which is interesting because she's so kind of uptight and close to the vest. And um, she's the opposite of Paste de Huerta's character. So, I don't know. That's It's a lot. You know, when you're watching a show as it premieres and you're watching it weekly, like every Thursday I get so excited. That's one thing. But when the show's already done, it's an it's intimidating to think, like, I have five seasons of this show to get through. Um. It's kind of the reason why I'm hesitant to watch The Sopranos. I, I've seen only the the pilot of The Sopranos. I haven't seen it and part of the second episode. But I had to stop The Sopranos because I didn't want to watch Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire simultaneously because I, I, honestly, I don't want to mix up the characters because I'm already mixing up the characters in Boardwalk Empire, like, I don't know if I can watch multiple shows at once, but but most people do, so I don't know what I'm talking about. So we'll see if I continue with Boardwalk Empire. 
briefly, I'll talk about an anime, Angel Cop. I, I watched the first episode. It it feels kind of bad because the English dub is very bad. But there was one very cool scene where this girl shoots another girl, like blows her head off, and the graphics were... Graphics? The graphics look really cool, and I I feel like you don't get that a lot in animation unless it's like... Because it's anime and it's super detailed and it look like she, it looks like she really blows her head off, but it's anime. So if I can remember to continue with the series, I probably will. For for whatever reason, the, the Blu-ray steelbook keeps getting recommended to me on Amazon. That's why I decided to watch it on Prime Video. Um, but I very I might forget about it. So there's that. The English dub is very bad. I thought it was made in the 70s, but it was made in the 80s. Quite possibly the 90s. Um, let me look at that. Let me look that up real right quick. I, I, I just searched Angel Cup and coffee came up. It's six episodes and it... Um, it came out 89 to 94. So it, it came out 89 to 94. I'm surprised it looks... Well, it doesn't look bad. The English dub is just bad. And for whatever reason, Prime Video won't allow me to um, use or watch it in Japanese audio with English subtitles. But, oh well. I watched Zoe, which came out in 2018. I had never, or actually it might be called Zoe. I'd never heard of the the movie Zoe before. I was searching um, on Prime Video, just looking for anything to watch. Came out 2018. It stars Ewan McGregor, a.k.a. Obi-Wan Konobi. Um, it stars... Leia Seydoux from Blue is the Warmest Color, which I still have not finished. And so I watched it. Uh, spoiler alert for the movie Zoe. But at the beginning of the movie, Ewan McGregor is the owner of this company. It's like an advanced technology company that you, that promotes the use of synthetic mates synthetic people and um it's very advanced so they're at the point where they can make synthetic people synthetic robots that look exactly like people like you can't tell um you know it's kind of it's it's not exactly a novel idea but that's the idea and so leia Seydoux's um, character Zoe, she starts to develop, develop feelings for Ewan McGregor. And she looks up on their system how compatible they are. She inputs both their names and they're 0% compatible. And she's like, what the fuck? So she finally goes up to him and she's like, I put our names in the computer 
and we're zero percent compatible i don't know why we're zero percent compatible i think about you all the time spoiler alert so ewan mcgregor takes her back to her apartment and he's like i have news to tell you you're you're a synthetic and she's like what what are you talking about he's like you're only a few months old you're the most advanced prototype for this type of thing um look in the mirror look in your eyes as proof that you're synthetic and um she can't believe it she gets kind of depressed but she still has feelings for him and they start they become an item and you know the movie is not great it's actually not not great to the point where i i decided to tell my wife about it instead of watching it with her but by telling her the movie i actually started to think you know this movie is kind of not that bad i i actually kind of want to show the movie to my wife because it does have some romantic elements to it and she's always looking for romantic movies so they become an item and at um at one point leia say do zoe wants to like have sexual relations with him and he doesn't want to he feels weird so zoe goes to a a robo brothel and christina aguilera works there in a very weird role i mean she barely says anything in the movie her facial expressions didn't work either so it's like i don't even know what she was doing in there and so they become an item he takes her away to a like a cabin for a weekend retreat they go swimming um, they have sexual relations and things are going well until zoe gets hit by a car spoiler alert and some like weird robotic oil liquid comes out of her and it shocks you and mcgregor back into reality and he's like oh i forgot she's a synthetic robot she's not human she's not real so then he kind of inevitably breaks it off with her and she's devastated and she's like i want to know what's up with us i want to know what we are before you fix me before you turn me off temporarily to fix me i want to know and he like can't answer her he refuses to answer her so their relationship stops and th- this movie it, it's very rem- reminiscent of her starring um oh my god whenever i have to recall a name i can't recall the name joaquin phoenix and scarlett johansson as the voice of her and also i think amy adams the dynamic between amy adams and joaquin phoenix and her for me was the same dynamic as rashida jones to ewan mcgregor i don't think they i don't think amy adams was joaquin phoenix's ex i don't think they had a relationship at all i'm not sure i don't remember i don't think so but she was kind of the friend character who's who te- basically tells Joaquin like you're happy I feel like you're you're doing good 
And Rashida Jones does the same thing. She's like, by the end of the movie, she she's his ex-wife and they have a son together. But by the end of the movie, she tells him like, I've never seen you more happy, more challenged, more in sync than when you were with her. And so he, you know, a lot kind of goes on in the movie. There's a lot of scenes where it's just like ethereal sounding music and ethereal montages of them like laughing and being happy together. It's like almost like a music video. And there's also these weird scenes where they have a his company Ewan McGregor's company has invented a drug where he um you can, where two people can take it and they feel like they're falling in love for the first time so there's an old married couple who take it who've been married for 35 years but they take it and they're like dancing face to face cheek to cheek like as if they're falling in love for the first time and two strangers can take it and feel like they're falling in love for the first time and they'll fuck and then they'll go their separate ways so it's like fun to get high on and have fun for a few hours and then just separate and never speak to each other again so you and mcgregor becomes one of those people trying to trying to fall in love again trying to rekindle that feeling but he he can't do it because it's just a temporary high and he never speaks to these people and at, at the end of the movie rashida jones goes to his house and he's she's like no one's been able to get a hold of you for weeks and he's all like fucked up on this drug and that's that's when she tells him i've never seen you happier with her and then at the end of the movie zoe essentially tries to commit suicide by having someone shut her down but something in her like changes her mind so she tries to escape you and mcgregor eventually finds her and they embrace and they're like i miss you i love you da, 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 da. and then zoe starts crying and she's not supposed to be able to cry because she's a synthetic and that's not in her engineering or programming but somehow she cries and she's it's almost like pinocchio she became a real woman the movie is not great as i said but i can see it as most of the these types of movies i can see it as an allegory for her being different you know maybe maybe for like a disabled person like he's like i don't know if i can have a relationship with a disabled person you're too different i don't want to go through the struggles or whatever or maybe with of a person of a different race or i don't know i can see it as an allegory for for being in a relationship with someone who's vastly different from you also i feel like the movie would have worked better as a 30 or 40 minute black mirror episode rather than a full-length movie not great, but I, I kind of want to show it to my wife, even though I told her this the whole plot. Maybe I'll give it six months before I show it to her. I'm almost 52 minutes into this thing, and I have three more movies to get to before I get to Superman 3. 
Um, I'll try to be quick. I watched The Nightingale, which came out in 2018. I watched it on Hulu. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And by that, I mean it's one of the the most depressing movies I've ever seen. I don't mean it worst in that way. It's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. I've never seen Precious and I've never seen The Revenant. But whenever they talk about it on We'll See You in Hell, Joe always mentions that he didn't like The Revenant because it was like Precious in the Woods. I haven't seen either movie, but that's what I feel like The Nightingale is like because... Ugh, well, so I didn't recognize anyone in this movie except for Sam Clayfin. And the first time I saw him was in Hunger Games 2, and I, I really loved him in that movie. And he was a he was a good guy, but he was an interesting character, and like you weren't sure who to if you could trust him, but he ended up being a good guy. Spoiler alert for Hunger Games Two, Catching Fire. I also saw him in the movie where he played he was in a wheelchair, and it was a romantic drama starring Sam Clayton and Emilia Clark of Game of Thrones fame that was actually an interesting movie it was a good movie because everyone at that point was so used to her being like this ruthless ruler on the game of thrones and very serious and then you see her in as this kind of bubbly character and i forget the title of the movie but you should check that movie out it's it's i already explained it but i'd forget the title anyway Sam Clayton is a piece of shit in this movie, The Nightingale. Um, at the beginning of the movie, there's the main character named Claire. She has a husband and she has a child. Spoiler alert for Nightingale. And I guess she she got caught stealing something. So she went to like prison or something. And then Sam Clayton, he's like a lieutenant, or I think. And he takes her out of that prison, so she's indebted to him. And he allows her to stay with her husband and child, even though she's an ex-convict or a convict. So she's like, I'm indebted to you, I'm indebted to you. But he uses that to his advantage by continually raping her. So he rapes her, and I gotta say, the first time she was raped, I watched this on Hulu, and literally one second before the rape ended, they inserted an ad. I don't know what the ad was for, I forget. So after the ad, there's one second left of her being raped, and then it, you know, the rape scene is over. But, I mean, come on. Hulu, can you put your ads in more appropriate places than the middle of a rape. Or maybe that was intentional. Maybe they thought people needed a break from the rape scene. I don't know. But it wasn't even in the middle of the rape scene. It was, again, like I said, one second away from the rape scene ending. But she gets raped brutally. And then it, it was a very good movie. Um, it was very well made. It was by Jennifer Kent, who made The Babadook, which was also very well made. 
Nightingale was a very well-made movie. Um, and so she's supposed to be free, like free from her contract or whatever, and be able to be a free woman again with her husband. But he won't do it. He's like, she's my property and I can do with her whatever I want. The contract ended three months ago. I don't care. She's my property. She stays. And the husband argues with him. And he's like, it's three months overdue. Please let her go. And he's like, no, she's my property. And then she proceeds to rape her in front of her husband and child. Um, I, I was re- reading reviews on it and there were walkouts during this movie and one person was heard overheard saying, I can't take this anymore. This is the second time she's been raped. I mean, I, I get walking out of movies, but in a well-made movie that's trying to say something um, about the brutality against women and interracial between blacks and whites in 1800 Australia. I don't know. I I say keep sitting. I understand walking out on like the bubble. If that was shown in a theater. Which I still haven't seen. The bubble is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That I haven't finished yet. The Nightingale. So she's being raped a second time. This time in front of her husband and child. So Sam Clayfin goes, shut that baby up, shut it up, shut it up. And the guy's, I don't know how to make it shut up. It won't be quiet. He's like, shut it up or I will. So he bangs this baby's head. He th- he like throws her against the wall or he slams her head against the wall. Baby dies immediately. The wife's screams stop because she knows what happened. Um, they shoot the husband dead. So her, in an instant, her whole family's dead, husband and child, baby child. And so part of the movie, it feels like it's going to be a rape revenge movie, which according to Pat Walsh, it's Jennifer Kent says it's not a rape revenge movie. That's definitely a big part of the movie. That's kind of the impetus for the story, kind of. But it is also about the interracial violence between and relationships between blacks and whites in Australia, Tasmania, present-day Tasmania. So Claire enlists the help of a black man in his first acting role, and I couldn't pronounce these actors' names if I wanted to, the Irish actress or the black Australian actor. Um, But she enlists him, and immediately he's like, I'm not going to help you whites. And then she's, she's ornery towards him as well. She's like, listen, I'll give you a pound now. I'll give you a pound later. Da-da-da-da-da. And they're they're immediately at ends at odds. I can't figure out that phrase. They're immediately fighting, and you know there there's a little formulaicness to it. Where, as you can imagine, two people from opposite sides of the spectrum of the world, whatever, they grow 
a they they develop a friendship and a love between them as the journey goes on. I thought it took too long because he goes to he says the river's too high, river's too high and she's like she refuses to take that in answer. So she go goes ahead and takes the horse her husband's horse Becky and she ends up flying off not flying but she falls off the horse into the water because the, the guess what the river was too high and then well first of all he he goes and helps her with the horse even though the river is too high so the a that's a b as she's about to drown in the water the river that's too high that he told her that was too high he goes back and reaches out a, a branch and saves her that's b and in the next scene he's she's still like oh you fucking black asshole like she's still very terrible to him in the next scene which i thought was weird but grad gradually they warm up to each other anyway they they like they catch up to him and she doesn't really get the revenge that you want but they end up killing the lieutenant sam clayfin ends up killing the black man's uncle quote unquote uncle charlie and so he's he's as angry at them as she is at this point at the end of the movie she kind of she kind of loses her mind um understandably like she just wants this to be over she wants to go home she doesn't want to be in the wilderness anymore she's exhausted she's mentally exhausted she's hungry she's she's just done with this whole thing and she's like i just want i just want this to be over but he wants his revenge billy so he like covers his body in body paint and he crafts two spears he ends up killing well in the movie he hurls a spear at sam clayfin on the wikipedia it says he kills him and this the sergeant character so i guess they both die and but the sergeant character shoots him in the stomach but he's still able to walk towards him and thrust a spear into his throat so he kind of gets the revenge and um you know they 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 ride away on becky together and they they like sing and dance kind of together that's the end of the movie it was very well made very strong very potent very emotionally potent um not an easy watch at all very depressing very hard to watch the after they kill the baby i i stopped it i paused it i almost didn't continue but i'm glad i did um tough watch rough stuff rough stuff i will yesterday i watched with my wife two movies I'll try to be brief and then get to Superman 3 so we could get on with our lives. Yesterday we watched The Weekend Away. She wanted to watch a romantic movie, so I put on The Weekend Away, which is not romantic by any means. 
Weekend Away came out in 2022. The only one I reckon recognized in the movie is um, Leighton, Leighton Meester. Watched it on Netflix. It's a fair, fairly run-of-the-mill, ordinary um, thriller-type movie. Um, basically, she goes out for a weekend away with her best friend she just had a baby and her husband and baby are at home in london and she's in croatia with her best friend and the best friend is the opposite of her she's like a partier very outgoing and um eventually she ends up miss the best friend ends up missing ends up dead it's not a great movie it's not really a good movie um but it was it passed the time it was entertaining um that's really all i have to say about it um it's not not great but you could do worse with your time i guess leighton meester i haven't seen her act much i I remember her as a 17-year-old patient of Dr. House, I think, if I'm thinking of the same girl. And she wanted to fuck Dr. House, but Dr. House was, I think, not in so many words, but refused because she was 17. But I believe she later came back to meet with Dr. House um, when she turned 18. I thought... Leighton Meester was good in The Weekend Away. Um, I feel like she could do better with her time, better with her projects. I wish her, I wish her agent would get her some more juicy, interesting projects. I thought she was good in the role. Some weird scenes like Leighton Meester, um, unlocking her best friend's phone by using her dead body's face to unlock the phone that was weird um her face her eyes are closed her face is very dead and has been in the water for some time it's all blue and blackish not a great movie but it was fine next movie i we watched very good girls starring Elizabeth Olsen, Dakota Fanning, um, Boyd Boyd Howbrook, Hoydbrook, I don't know, um, Richard Dreyfuss in a small role, Demi Moore in a small role, Ellen Barkin in a medium role, Clark Gregg in a small role. It's a drama movie. Again, it's not great, but I like Wanda Elizabeth Olsen. I like her a lot. It's interesting because Dakota Fanning, she's kind. She's. I feel like she's faded a little bit. She burst onto the scene as a child actress, and she was in a ton of movies. I can't name most of them. But she, I think she was in like Charlotte's Web and she was in a bunch of movies as a kid. Actually, she, she's she been an actress for so long and I thought she 
because everyone you look up now these days, they're always older than you think because we are all older. So, for example, Mia Farrow, you look her up, you're like, oh, she's probably older, maybe in her 60s. She's like 77. And every time you look someone up, they're like very old. But I thought I would look her up and she would be in her 30s. But Dakota Fanning is only 28. Like, that's how young she is and was. Um, And she was like 18, 19 when this movie was released in 2013. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen was 23, 24 when this movie came out. Boyd Howdbrook, um, he was fine. He gave out the right vibe for the role, but I could barely understand anything he was saying. It felt like he was slurring his words or maybe it was something wrong with the mix or his mic or something. I don't know. Not great movie, but... um, it has some typical coming-of-age elements. I'm not sure if it would, you would call it a coming-of-age, kind of a com- coming-of-age friendship movie between two young girls that are about to go off to college. They're both virgins, and the two girls meet him. Uh, he's selling ice cream on like a boardwalk at the beach, and Wanda takes interest in him, but he kind of takes interest in her. And he ends up having kind of a relationship with, I meant Dakota Fanning. I always want to say Dakota Johnson. Who would have thought that Dakota would become such a common name? And who would have thought that Dakota Johnson's star would shine brighter than Dakota Fanning? Um... So Boyd Hoydbrook starts to fuck Dakota Fanning. And it, it kind of reminded me of Vicky Christie, Christina Barcelona a little bit because Javier Bardem has a relationship with the two women. Similar thing here, but not exactly. And obviously he goes for Dakota Fanning a little bit more. No, a lot more. Um, I think, uh, Gyllenhaal, what's his first name? Oh, God. There's Maggie Gyllenhaal and, <sighs> fuck, Gyllenhaal boy from the, um, Bubble Boy fame. I think his mom directed Very Good Girls. And reviews weren't nice to the movie. Let me let me look at the um, review. I'm sure when this came out, it just it flopped and no one cared. But here's the reception: the film re- received negative reviews from critics, 19% rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 36 reviews. The Hollywood Reporter described the film as a limp directing debut for Fawner. The film's outdated counterculture sensibilities made it appear frozen in time. It found the characters unconvincing, criticizing the artificiality of the love interest who asks the lead character to read a couple lines of Sylvia Plath before their first kiss. We got this covered, called the film insincere from bottom to top. 
expressing disappointment that its innate lousiness deflated the dramatic efforts of its leads. Variety criticized the really bad drama, particularly the vapid and cliched screenplay. This all-around misfire may go directly to home formats. So, not kind. The reviews were not kind. I didn't think it was a great movie, not a good movie, but I preferred it to The Weekend Away. My wife preferred The Weekend Away to Very Good Girls. Jake Gyllenhaal is his name. Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, but I, I didn't mind it. It was fine. And I, I like Wanda. And Dakota Fanning was very good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, very good. Like in a small-ish role, but she was very good in her scenes. Also, she she and her sister Elle Fanning voiced sisters in the English dub of My Neighbor Totoro, which is a favorite movie of my wife's. You didn't ask? So at an hour and 13 minutes in, let's start talking about Superman Trace. Superman 3, the Richard Pryor cut. So I I have I have no memory at all to talk about. I had no memory of this as a child. In fact, prior to watching Superman 3 today, I didn't I know that Richard Pryor was in one of them. I wasn't sure if he was in 3 or 4. Like that's how little I knew about this movie. I knew nothing about it. First one and second one I had minor memories and I remember Zod and the three bad guys very well. This one I I I never watched ever until today. Um I for the first hour or so I actually was kind of digging the movie. Um, the movie opens with Richard Pryor at an unemployment office and he's arguing with the lady because she's saying you've been, um, you've been unemployed for 36 consecutive weeks and now you're ineligible for benefits. And uh, Richard Pryor is kind of arguing with her and he's, he's going to smoke a cigarette and he this guy gives him matches and he sees an ad for a computer programming job so that's what that's that's the plot that's the plot for some reason he's always carrying a yo-yo so i don't know if his name should, his nickname should be richard pry yo richard pry yo-yo richard pry yo-yo man or maybe just Yo-Yo Man. You got Superman and you got Yo-Yo Man. The the after that scene, the movie then opens with kind of a a lengthy slapstick physical comedy humor, almost like vaudevillian. A bunch of physical gags happen, like a blind man knocks over some balls and a mime falls over some balls and it just keeps getting worse and worse and then a ping of toy penguin catches on fire it it's a lengthy scene and i 
I thought it was silly, but I thought it was kind of funny, actually. Because at the beginning of the movie, you're not sure, like, is this going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Am I going to like it? I don't know. And so I was liking it. I didn't mind Richard Pryor um, doing his thing, his comedic thing. But, you know, you... I I lo- I love Christopher Reeve as Superman. Um, he's the quintessential Superman guy. He is the dude. He was the man in one and two and three and four, which I haven't seen. But, um, so I, I'm not going to be mad at seeing. Christopher Reeve as Superman, even in this. And I I was excited to see more Christopher Reeve as Superman, because as Joe DeRosa has mentioned, has said, he said the phrase, this is a finite thing. There are only four Superman movies with Christopher Reeve, and that's it. And Christopher Reeve is long dead. So there's no more. There's these four movies. So you have to this is all we've got, you know, this is all we'll ever have of Christopher Reeve as Superman. Um, and I, w- I was liking it and I liked, um, Annette O'Toole. I, I was excited to see her because I, I didn't see all of Smallville, but I liked her as the, as Martha Kent in Smallville. I watched some of it. I wish I could get the entire series, but it's like, oh, it's always over a hundred bucks. I'm like, come on. Like, seriously, come on. 112 bucks for Smallville? Anyway, um, I, I liked the Smallville section. I liked Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang. I, I got a little sad when Lana Lang says to Clark Kent, this is the first time you've been back since your mother died, right? Because I, I always thought that when Clark Kent left Smallville and he was still a teenager, teenage Clark Kent in Smallville in Superman one. And he tells his mom, I have to leave. I it kind of like, I have to find myself type thing. And she says, I always knew this day would come. I, I, I always knew you would leave. I guess in my head, I always thought he would, she would show up again. Like he would show, he because he's Superman, you know? He could fly to to Smallville in two seconds from Metropolis. So why wouldn't you visit your mom ever? And maybe he did. I'm sure he did. But they never show it in the, in the movies. After he leaves Martha Kent in Superman 1 as teenage Clark Kent, he never goes back. They never show it. So in a passing comment, Lana Lang just says, oh, this is the first time you came back since your mother died. I just thought I was a little sad. Um, But the moment... Oh, boy. The moment that this this movie lost me, where I was just like, okay, so now I know what this movie is. This movie is not good um was the crosswalk scene so richard pryor plays a computer genius that's what we're dealing with um c- 
comedian superstar Richard Pryor plays a computer genius in Superman 3. And he's drunk in one scene trying to work on a computer and a bunch of technology messes up. And in one scene, these pe- these pedestrians are trying to cross the street, but he's um, Richard Pryor's messing up with the computer systems. So cars are trying to cross at the same time as these pedestrians. And they show this green and red pedestrian signs like you know the green that it's just a symbol of a guy walking that's green and a green figure that's stopped that's supposed to indicate stop so the green figure climb climbs up onto the same platform as the red figure and they start to fight and i'm like <clears throat> i'm like okay so this movie is not reality this movie is a cartoon. Um, I can't take this movie seriously anymore. I can't take the characters, the story. I can't take Superman 3 seriously. Uh, I believe my words out loud, out loud were, oh my goodness. I said that out loud to myself. I was watching this by myself. And I didn't mind Richard Pryor. I thought he was fine doing his thing until... Richard Pryor, the general, goes up on the stage and he starts yelling as a general. And I was just like, oof. That's when the Richard Pryor stuff got tired for me in this movie. And then the final straw. And I didn't say anything. I just groaned heavily at this scene. But at the end of the movie at the quote-unquote climax, I guess. Webster, the main villain The main villain in this movie is named Webster. He's shooting missiles at Superman, and it's, it's literally a video game. And at the bottom of the screen, it says score. It says on the right bottom, at the bottom right, it says missiles zero on the left bottom half it says score and it's a literal video game and on the one hand i figure they like they can't top what they did on superman one and two so they're like let's just do something radically different let's just make it a comedy let's just try something very drastically different and I respect that concept, but the execution is terrible, as you can imagine. Um, it, it reminds me of Pitch Perfect. Like, Pitch Perfect 1 was a really... I, I really love the Pitch Perfect movies, the trilogy. 1 was, like, a really good origin story about how Becca joins the choir. 2, I liked less... But three, they're like, fuck it. We're doing a third. Let's, it's the third one. It's the last one. Let's just, it's, there's a whole bunch of like thriller elements in it. And it's almost like a parody. And, but in that movie, I thought it paid off. I liked the third one in that trilogy. In this one, it did not pay off. Um, They didn't have Mario Pizzo 
who wrote the first one and second one and he wrote the godfather they traded in the villain lex luther and ned Beatty and valerie perrin i think traded them in for a villain named webster and his sister vera i don't know how i don't it's such a drop off from lex luther to webster i don't know if webster's from the comics at all but it's basically a lex luther uh, rip off knockoff i heard that lois that margot kidder got into arguments with the producers just as richard donner did so in this movie she is reduced to a small scene at the beginning of the movie and a small scene at the end of the movie. So her role was significantly reduced, but they 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 replaced it with Lana Lang, which I didn't mind. I, I liked Annette O'Toole in this movie. And once again, Christopher Reeve gives 110%. I still loved him in this movie. And in one strange but the best part of the movie, and I'm assuming most people agree. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Maybe everyone hated this scene also. But on Wikipedia, they describe it as a nervous breakdown. But Clark. But Superman. So in the in the general scene, Richard Pryor gives him this synthesized kryptonite. They tried to replicate kryptonite, but there was this unknown substance that. Uh, Richard Pryor is not sure what to put, so he just puts tar. So they manufacture this synthetic kryptonite and they give it to Superman, but he doesn't die immediately. He doesn't die at all, but he doesn't even appear to be harmed at it at all. But he does get harmed by it. He becomes <laughs> he becomes an asshole. So he becomes asshole Superman. And I don't know if this is in the in the comics. I don't know if this is actually Bizarro Superman or if that's something else. Or maybe this is an interpretation of Bizarro, Bizarro Superman. But he becomes asshole Superman. So he goes to Lana Lang's house and Lana Lang's like gets a phone call. And she's like, oh, there's a truck on the bridge. You need to save them. And Superman's like, oh, I always get there on time. I think we should just can we stay together for a little bit? And he becomes selfish. (laughs) He becomes an asshole. And Christopher Reeve really plays it up. And he, he becomes angry. He yells at regular citizens. He becomes drunk. He stops. He looks unshaven. His suit looks dirty. He looks angry. He looks depressed. He starts flicking um, nuts at alcohol glasses and they start breaking and he just becomes a total asshole and because it's christopher reeve you believe it and the 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 cool sequence that i'm talking about is he goes to like a junkyard and he quote unquote gets a nervous breakdown according to wikipedia and clark kent comes out of his body and I, I guess it's in his mind, but it's it was I thought it was a very cool sequence where 
asshole Superman is fighting Clark Kent. And they're they're fighting each other and they both have super strength and they're battling each other. And at the end, Clark Kent gets the best of asshole Superman and he ends up choking asshole Superman. Then asshole Superman disappears and then Clark Kent rips open his shirt to reveal his S. So it was... It was an interesting like battle within himself and it, it, it was just so weird to be I I really liked that sequence and it was just a very rare cool sequence in the middle of this kind of junk heap of a movie. I it was very apropos, is that the phrase? Apropos that they had this fight scene in the middle of the junk heap because the movie is kind of a junk heap but you you find a, a gem speaking of gems at the end of the movie he he breaks it like this coal and he finds a gem in it there's this gem of a sequence gem of a scene in this junk heap of a movie i really liked it i'm not sure how anyone else feels about that sequence but i thought it was really cool because who who can't relate to that you're having a a battle with yourself and it actually manifests physically in this scene but it's all mental where the better part of yourself has to <laughs> literally kill the dark thoughts in yourself in order for you to survive in order for you to uh, not succumb to the dark thoughts you have to kill the dark part of yourself and the constant battle between good and evil within you you know that's what star wars is all about and they encompass that in this one sequence in superman 3 i really like that part so i can't say the movie as a whole is a failure because there are some cool parts in it at the end of the movie i wrote this part down even though it's so minor the the hot girl the hot lady uh, first of all i like the I like the recurring jokes that she was really a genius or she was very smart, but she had to play dumb for some reason. And she was reading that book by Kant. And she's like, um, I forget the phrase, but she was like, I know he's saying this about uh, congetics, but what about, what about kinetic continuity? And then she throws away the book when the when Webster comes in and he's, she's like, I'm sorry, honey, am I in the way? I don't know. That was funny to me. And she was hot. Pamela Stevenson, I think. I don't know who she is, but I'm going to look her up. She's probably 80 at this point. But Superman walks in after he turns good and she's like, hi, honey. And he's like, Superman's like, I don't know you, lady. <laughs> For some reason, that line made me laugh. Um, I guess it was funny that he didn't say miss or something. And he's good Superman at this point. He's not asshole Superman. He just says, I don't know you, lady. Um, and that's, that's Superman 3 for you. I'm at an hour 31. 
I tried to watch the special features. The narrator at the beginning, he says, in the next hour, we will talk about the making of Superman 3. I don't think I could survive an hour of the making of Superman 3. I don't really care that much. I tried to watch the theatrical trailer, and I I couldn't even get through that. I'm assuming it's two, three minutes long, but... Um, it was really focusing heavily on Richard Pryor's role and how he was a. I guess they were expecting, oh, well, it's Superman 3. We don't have Lex Luthor. We don't have Marlon Brando. We don't have Gene Hackman. Let's, let's bring in Richard Pryor. It was, it was a, it was not an interesting character to bring in. It wasn't a good gimmick to bring in. They took out Margot Kidder, which was a mistake. Gene Hackman, I'm sure, refused to come back, which was the right decision on his part. Marlon Brando, I I guess they felt, maybe they felt that they, they got all, all they could out of Jor-El's character. But um, Superman 3, not great, not good, but the asshole Superman fight in the middle is kind of a gem in the movie. Also at the end of the movie, he somehow blows oil back into a ship. He blows oil back into a ship. So, um, that's all I got. I, I, I am looking forward to watching Superman four cause I have no idea what to expect in Superman for the quest for peace. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to man of steel. Cause I don't remember much of it. I know that guy who played Zod plays Zod and I'm assuming there's no Ursa in it, which is disappointing. And I'm going to watch Superman returns. Um, my brother is currently watching He's doing a Harry Potter marathon. He's up to six. I I kind of want to do that as well, but I don't know. I'm gonna go get some Chipotle. And if you're if you're st- if you reach the end of this, if you're still listening, um, well, if if you are interested in Final Fantasy VII. I have a YouTube channel called Odd Drummer Gaming. You can check it out at youtube.com slash odddrummergaming. And I'm starting a second channel for drums at youtube.com slash drumj8. Um, but if you've reached the end of this, we're at one hour and 35 minutes. I just want to apologize to you personally for letting you hear my boring and monotone voice that sounds very sad and depressed and um, I apologize for revealing to you my personality and my soul and exposing my myself not physically but emotionally and mentally to you I'm, I'm I apologize for my existence Thanks for listening, stay odd, and keep on playing.